Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like what you hear, please press subscribe. And also, if you could leave a review and rate this podcast, that would be amazing. Um, Thank you to the many of you who have already done that. It means so much to me, and I read every comment. So please review, rate, subscribe, and uh, tell your friends about this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much to Riley Versa for sponsoring today's podcast. Riley Versa is a woman-owned line of bags created with the idea that one bag can really have it all. Riley Versa's interchangeable covers, pouches, and straps allow you to be boldly versatile. Get it? Versa? Riley Versa? Versatile with your fashion choices at all times. With one seamless switch, you can transform your bag into a completely new one in seconds. Riley Versa makes an amazing baby bag, too, with two colored removable pouches, a detachable bag that allows it to be crossbody or backpack, and spill-proof interior lining. Mental note, this is a great baby gift. They also offer DIY customization and hand-painted customization. In fact, a friend of mine gave me one of these bags, and it is really awesome, and I love it, and my kids are fighting for all the little pieces that go inside. Anyway, Riley Versa is offering a special gift with purchase at checkout with code ZIBBY. So go check out um, Riley, R-I-L-E-Y-V-E-R-S-A.com, Riley Versa. Check out with code ZIBBY for your special gift. I had the best time interviewing Glennon Doyle. Oh my gosh, I'm such a fan of hers. And getting to talk to her was such a thrill. I'm afraid I was a little overly, I don't know, obsequious or, you know, too complimentary. So excuse me for all my gushing during the interview, but I just love her. (laughs) Anyway, Glenna Doyle is the author of number one New York Times bestsellers, Untamed, a Reese's Book Club selection, and Love Warrior, an Oprah's Book Club selection, as well as the New York Times bestseller, Carry On Warrior. An activist and thought leader, Glennon is the founder and president of Together Rising, an all-women-led nonprofit organization that has revolutionized grassroots philanthropy, raising over $25 million for women, families, and children in crisis. She currently lives in Florida with her wife and three children. So thanks, Glennon, for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This is such a treat. I mean, best podcast title ever. So funny. (laughs) Thanks. At least, yeah, there's that nod of recognition for the many of us who don't have enough time to do For anything. For anything, yes. For anything. (laughs) It's so true. But fortunately, I, along with like a zillion other people, made time for your book, Untamed, your most recent one, which is, of course, like taking the world by storm and was so good and open and honest and amazing. So anyway. Thank you. It's a weird time. It was a very weird time to release a book, but it has, it's been amazing the world's reaction to it. It's really been something. You know, I think there's just nothing like the authenticity that you showed in the book and and especially in relation to, I know the title of this podcast does have to do with moms, but just your whole like giving up the martyrdom of motherhood and discovering yourself. It's just so empowering. And like you, I got a divorce from like over five years ago. And I had so many of the thoughts that you had about like leaving your family in a way and having to find your sparkle. And when I read your words, I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So how old are your kids? My kids, I have twins who just turned 13 and I have an almost seven-year-old and a five and a half-year-old. Oh my gosh, you're all over the place with the ages. Woo, you're in it. (laughs) And how old are your, how old are yours now? So my oldest is 17, so wild. He will be a senior in high school. So we are doing the whole college thing now, which is very strange because he was just born like last week. So I don't understand how that's happening. And then I have a daughter who is 14 and then another who's 12. 
And which is the daughter who loves polar bears? Because I also have a polar bear loving daughter. We have like giant polar bears all over the house. I'm going to like share this whole section. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Tish. Tish is the 14-year-old and then Emma is the 12-year-old, our little one. So if you don't mind, I'd love to talk a little more about your falling in love with Abby and how you dealt with having to tell your kids about it and the decision you made to listen to your inner voice and sort of go for it, even though that came with so much sort of risk almost and the indecision and, you know, those the, the bravery that sort of accompanied that. And I know you had so much, of, I was hoping I could just read like a little passage when you decide that it's the worst part is letting your kids be the reason for your unhappiness, which I thought was so important. And you you wrote, what a terrible burden for children to bear, to know that they are the reason their mother stopped living. Mm -hmm. And then you also said, I'd quit using my children as an excuse to not be brave and start seeing them as my reason to be brave. And at the end, you said, I'd divorce Craig because I am a mother and I have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So just take me back there. Tell me a little more about that time. Yeah, Lord have mercy. Okay. So I fell in love with Abby while I was on a book tour promoting Love Warrior, which was very tricky timing because Love Warrior was being touted all over the place as this epic marriage redemption story, right? So, I mean, it was, it's interesting, you know, a woman's life, it's, people like for things to be clear cut and black and white. And that wasn't my experience. Like, I guess in a way you could say that my marriage was redeemed because we were, you know, we had worked really hard to forgive each other and we were making it work, you know, in the way that families who keep showing up for each other do. But the problem was that I was just pissed off all the time. (laughs) I was just like, I was like trying to make it work. I was waiting for forgiveness to just like fall from the sky and stay. And, but I just had this like low level river of rage that just never went away. And, you know, we were dealing with a lot of things. We, we were dealing with infidelity and that is what a lot of Love Warrior was about. So some of my rage was about the infidelity but I don't even like leading with that anymore because I feel like I've, I've annoyed myself recently because I find myself leading with that. So, so yeah, so my husband cheated on me. So, so, and I think it's a way of like, as a woman framing things that like, it's okay for me to do what I wanted because I had this get out of jail free card. Right. So like, you can honor my decision. You can say it's okay. You can like, you can say, well, okay, it's okay for her. She deserved to leave. But I don't want women to think that. Like, I don't want women to think you have to have a get-out-of-jail-free card to honor yourself, right? Because the truth is that while there was the infidelity, like, Craig and I were never in love with each other. <laughs> like, we, he would say the same thing. Like, because we're dear friends now. And, you know, we got married because I was pregnant. Right. And, and, you know, looking back on that time now, so much of that, so much I put of this, I put in untamed. I just like steamrolled us, man. I just, I was like, 
blinders on. I am pregnant. I'm getting sober. This is my last chance to be like a good girl. I'm going to have the family. We're going to, you know, I had this idea in my head of what a family looks like. And what a family looks like is a mom and a dad. And so Craig was going to have to get on board. Right. And in my family, we call my controlling nature just leadership. (laughs) It's strong. The force is strong. Right. So, so looking back on it, I can see that all kinds of mistakes were made and not all of them were on Craig's side for sure. Many of them were on my side. And, and so I just had that river of rage. And I also had this like deep wondering, like this curiosity, this longing that was like, I wonder if there's something that's more beautiful than this. Right. Because, you know, on my good days, I could just dismiss like real romance as just like Disney crap. Like it's not real. This is as good as it gets. Right. But I did wonder, you know, like, is this as good as it's ever going to be? Like I have this one life and is this as good as love gets. Right. So then I'm in the first event to promote Love Warrior. And I look over in the doorway and Abby is standing there. And listen, it was the weirdest moment of my life because I just, all of me just was like, there she is. Like that, this is it. And I have, I had no, like I had never even kissed a girl. Okay. I have no context for this experience at all. I never, it just was not part of my So, you know, Untamed is about what happened next and, you know, what happened next after that night is we spent, you know, 20 minutes together at that event with those other writers in front of a thousand librarians because it was a librarian convention. That's a sexy way to meet your person. And then we went back to our lives. She went back to Portland and I went back to Florida and neither of us were ever the same. We started talking to each other on email and the phone and letters, and we just fell deeply in love. And yeah, so it became this question of not really like love. It wasn't just like, okay, do I love Abby or do I love Craig? Like, will I go have this? Will I break up my marriage or will I stay? It wasn't like that. It was like, will I abandon myself or not? Right. It was very deep. It was an identity thing. It was like, oh, there she is, some, I think was me, right? Because something rose up inside of me that was my real self. That was like the self that I was before the world told me who to be. And it was very clear to me that my decision about whether to follow that self, to lead with that self, to rock the boat, to do the things that that self was requiring of me or not, was a decision about whether to truly live with any authenticity this one wild and precious life we're given, Right or just not, or just not rock the boat, go back to my life. And so I almost didn't, I almost didn't, I was so afraid, not necessarily because of the world or my job or my public life, which all that was there and scary, but it was the kids. It's always the kids, right? I just felt like I can't hurt them. Like I, my job is to make sure that they don't get hurt. So I can't do this thing. Right. And that's why we have to really think about these things we tell ourselves about what our jobs are, because that's actually not a parent's job. Right. Protecting your child from all pain is not a parent's job at all. In fact, I think a parent's job is pointing their children towards the necessary pain of their life and just walking them through it over and over and over again. 
because when we teach our children that they can't handle any pain by protecting them from it, they become afraid human beings. What we inadvertently teach them is that they cannot handle the pain of life, right? And they become people who suck, okay? Because people who avoid all pain are, are sucky people, right? Like we don't need any more of those kinds of people. We need people who have walked through the fire over and over and over enough times to learn that they're fireproof so they don't have to avoid fires, right? So one day I'm just like, you know, slowly dying inside after having decided I'm going to let this love go. I'm going to just abandon myself again. I'm looking at my daughter and she is, she looks at me and she asks if she can do her hair like mine. And there's something about the way she asks it. I realize, oh my God, this child, every time she looks at me, she's asking questions right? How does a woman do her hair? How does a woman love? How does a woman live? How does, and I am staying in this marriage for this little girl, but what I want this marriage for this little girl, right? And if I wouldn't want this marriage for her, then why am I modeling bad love and calling that good parenting, right? And that's what so many of us do. We just, we got this memo that the parenting, that mother, motherhood is about murdering yourself. Right? That what a mother should do is just bury herself, just bury her needs, her emotions, her personality, her desire, all of it. Just bury it, cease to exist and do that in the honor of her children, right? Which is such a terrible legacy to pass down. I can't tell you how many friends I have right now who are currently wanting so badly to give themselves permission to live fully. But what they're struggling with is the fact that their mothers were martyr mothers. So they can't free themselves to live because their mother has passed down this legacy to them. That that's not love, right? So women of our generation also who were raised by martyr, martyr mothers are battling this idea. Okay, what is love? Is love to disappear? For the beloved, right? Or is love actually never, ever requires disappearance? That love always requires the full emer- uh, emerging, right? The more, the deeper the love, the more we fully emerge. We don't bury ourselves. We don't disappear in honor of love. So that's really when I figured out, oh, like if I, what would I tell my daughter? If my daughter came to me and said, I'm slowly dying and I have this chance You know, I've come alive for the first time and I have this chance to have this beautiful love. What would I say to her? I would say, get the hell out. Do it with grace. Do it with truth. Do it with honesty the whole way through. But do it, right? So, yeah, a lot of Untamed is just, it's just what, you know, what Walt Whitman said to do. Just re-examine everything you've been taught in books, in school, in the world, and just dismiss whatever insults your own soul. And the idea that a mother, that women in any area should slowly die to be successful or should disappear to be successful. It just insults my soul. I'm not going to do it anymore. And then, of course, that's when real success happens, right? When you get in touch with who you really are. Because the world can tell when you're faking. (laughs) I feel like women are very good at thinking that they're pulling off this act, but Everyone else is a little wiser than I think they give credit for. Mm-hmm. I, I know yeah, everyone else is acting too. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, that's how you know when you, 
like, of course we have, that's why I named it untamed, right? I mean, there's, we have two selves. We all have two freaking selves. We have our tamed self that goes out into the world and people says, how are you? And we say, fine, everything's fine. And we do the script. And then the untamed self is the self that's inside. That's like wanting to say the real thing, wanting to tell the truth, right? So I think it's it's never going to fully happen for anybody, but I do like the goal of of living with integrity, which means to me, integrity has nothing to do with right and wrong. Like right and wrong are just made up constructs that are different for every culture, every group, every religion, every whatever. But I love the word integrity, meaning integrated, right? That like your inner self and your outer self are as close to one thing as you can get them, right? That to me is freedom. That's like whatever the opposite of slowly dying inside. And for women, what that means sometimes is, is the willingness to rock the boat, right? Because we are so used to just swallowing, to just silencing our untamed self and just saying the script and do it, keeping the peace because there's such a cost to telling the truth because it causes discomfort, because it causes upheaval, it causes chaos. But what we haven't yet examined is that there's a price to pay for not doing it too, right? The price of avoiding outer conflict is constant inner conflict, right? The price of constantly making other people comfortable is that we are never comfortable in our own skin. And and the irony of all of it is that our strategy isn't working right? Like in our desire to make other people comfortable, they are never comfortable because what our people learn from us is that they can also never rock the boat, that they can also never allow themselves to say the thing. So one of the most beautiful things about untaming is that we think, oh, I can't do that thing because it'll hurt my people. But in the long run, it serves your people because all anybody needs is the permission and freedom to be fully themselves. That's all anybody needs. And so when we as parents allow ourselves to live fully, even when it makes other people uncomfortable, what our people learn is, oh, I get to do that too, right? And the freedom is a ripple effect. And that's why they say there's no such thing as one-way liberation, right? When we as mothers free ourselves, we are automatically freeing everybody in our vicinity. So, you know, it's just like even our strategies don't work. (laughs) Even our make everybody happy strategies make nobody happy. So true. And yet we're so used to doing that. It's like second nature. You know, it takes a lot to sort of break free from that habit, (laughs) if you will. I love how you said, you know, when when we were born or our mothers had us in another generation that the, the dictate was like, go take your baby, make sure they're fed, make sure everything is well, protect them, whatever. And how you want to say something totally different to your kids. Like you wanted to say, here is your baby. Love her at home, at the polls, in the streets. Let everything happen to her. Be near. Like that was amazing. I want to like, well, find it more easily than I just did right now. But I also want to like post it, you know, and put it like on my bathroom mirror, the way you had like your expression on your bathroom mirror, just as a reminder that like, we can't solve our kids' problems ever. It's not even helpful. Like you say, like all we can do is be close and just be supportive and just be there. And that's, it doesn't have to be so much more than that as long as you love them, right? No, and we just got such bad propaganda for our parenting generation, man. I mean, 
we just got, they just told us, you know, your job is to, as a parent is just to protect your child from everything. Just never let a drop of rain fall on her head. Let Make sure everybody likes her. Make sure she wins every single competition. Make sure every teacher, she's every teacher's favorite. Make sure that everyone's her friend. Like, make sure she never loses. Like, it's just, and then we wonder why we're neurotic as parents and we feel like failures all the time, right? And then our children suck. Listen, people who do not suck are people who have lost, right? People who do not suck are people who have felt unkindness, so they don't want to pass it on. People who do not suck are people who have been allowed to fail, felt the sting of failure, and learned for the next time. Like, people who do not suck are not people who have never overcome anything, right? They're people who have overcome and overcome and overcome. So because of this bad memo we got about parenting being protecting our kids from pain, we are grabbing from them the one thing that will allow them to become the people we dream they'll be right? Which is people of wisdom, of courage, of resilience, of kindness, all of those things, those characteristics we want for our kids, they all come from pain. They all come from overcoming, right? So it's not just that our, our, it's not just that our memo, that our, that our false ideas, our false beliefs about parenting are making us neurotic because they are, and they're annoying, but they're also causing harm, right? The, The helicopter generation, the lawnmower generation, like we are stressing ourselves out and we're creating kids who are not ready to be human, right? And who don't know their own strength and don't know their own power because we protected them from so much that they've never had to figure anything out. I did that. Oh my God, my first two kids, bless their hearts. Good luck. <laughs> I didn't figure it out till the third. So I know. I feel like third I mean, kids, I, like third kids are us. I feel like third kids have it like <laughs> the world is their oyster because that's right. by the time we get there, we at least know what we're doing. It can be like, all right, whatever. I messed that up. But that's like a sunk cost. Just and you, sunk cost. You child are a sunk cost. Yeah. Sorry about right. that. <laughs> like pancakes, like you screw up the first one, but the rest turn out okay. This is sad for the first ones, but also do you notice about the, the the more you have, the less like neurotic you are? Like that's why I think my third is she's just she's wild in the way that I'm that I always mean wild, which isn't like necessarily loud or whatever. It's just wild to me means like what you were born to be, right? Your wild is like your truest self. Like I have our middle child, Tish, she, her wild is actually quite cautious and, and, and quiet. So when people pressure her to be louder and to be the, that's when she's moving out of her wild, right? That's when she's acting to please other people. And Emma, the little one, I mean, oh my God, she's just, I don't know if I just like, didn't take the time to teach her how to act. (laughs) She's just herself all the time. Right. And she, has she has created this self of hers and she is well pleased with herself and her wild is loud. <laughs> but this goes back to what you said at the beginning though, that you showed her who you really were. She had more time, yeah. more percentage of her life with you being your authentic self versus any sort of facsimile of what you could have been. And so she's responding to that. So it's like you're proving your own theory. Thank you. We're gonna go with that. <laughs> We're landing there. <laughs> Tell me for just a second more about Together Rising and all the amazing stuff that you're doing because it's like unbelievable. And I watched your video even today on loving and fighting, the 12-minute video, the one on Instagram, which is amazing, like giving your platform over and all the things you're doing in every way, trying to help 
everyone in the world, like Mother <laughs> Teresa, like it's unreal. It's amazing. And you're doing it too. It's not like you're trying, you are doing it and affecting change. So tell me about that part of your personality and that mission of yours. I mean, listen, I think it's all the same thing. I think like when, when women start to honor their discontent, like that, I, that's how I want to say it. Like, I feel like we aren't allowed, we are trained to be grateful all the freaking time, right? We are trained that if we ever want more, if we can ever imagine more that, that we're not being grateful enough, we're not being, that if we're ever angry, it means there's something wrong with us, right? Not that there's just something wrong in the world, which is what it usually means, that we're too emotional, that we're, these are all just ways to shut women up, right? And I think that when women start to honor their discontent in their relationships and they're like, actually, I don't, that's not, this isn't working for me anymore. This is what I'm going to need. Right. And then women as mothers start to say, actually, this whole like thing I've bought into as what it means to be a mother, it's not working for me. Like it's killing me and it's making my children. So I'm going to do something different. And then those women start to do that out in the world. Right. Women start, women look at institutions and are like, actually, I'm not crazy. This shit is crazy. Like, and then they start to say, you know, because women, what we want is really good. Like women want, my job is to listen to women. I've been listening to women for a decade. Like what women want is, you know, rest. (laughs) All women I talk to want rest. Okay. A good freaking night's sleep, a little less to do, a moment to breathe, connection, purpose, peace and justice and fairness for their children and peace and justice and fairness for other people's children. Like when women start to honor what they want in their relationships and in their homes and in the world, amazing things start happening. And that's what Together Rising is. It's just like a bunch of women who have decided, actually, we're not crazy. We're goddamn genius, right? (laughs) Like enough with the gaslighting. The reason why we're angry is because there's a lot to be angry about, right? The, The reason why we can imagine more is because we were meant for more, right? And the reason why we're brokenhearted is because there's so freaking much to be brokenhearted about. And since angry, brokenhearted women are the only people who have ever affected change in the history of the world, it is wise to gather them together, right? And to start confronting systems and institutions that are forgetting the same people over and over and over and over again and serving the same people over and over and over and over again. So I think what Together Rising is just an iteration of, of continuously becoming untamed. It's, it's, you know, I think in the last seven years, we've raised $27 million for women and children in crisis domestically and all over the world. And it's the great honor of my life. It's, it, I think it's what every podcast, every book, all the stuff that I write about is really about Together Rising. I think that's the trick of the universe. Like the universe gives you this like talent that you feel so good about. And you're like, oh, I'm good at this thing. This is my gift. So then you do the thing. And then it's really all just a hook to get you into service. Right. <laughs> it's like, Thanks for coming. Now we're going to need you here. We're going to need <laughs> use that talent for this thing. Right. So yeah, I just hope to be doing that work and I get to do it with my sister and I get to do it with a lot of dear friends. I have found that I'm not like a socially normal person. Like I've never been able to keep friendships. I'm not, I don't know how to do it. Like it feels so overwhelming. Like I don't know how to keep texting back or like remember birthdays or have baby showers. But I do know that the bonds that you create with people that you're doing world-changing work with is my jam. Like the fact that I get to do this work with the women I'm doing it with is probably the real gift. 
That's amazing. So inspiring. You're just like, I feel like you should be the one running the country. You should be like up there spreading this message in more ways than just this. But anyway, that's just my two cents. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I know you like made fun of your little gift, which is really a gift not to be like overly, you know, complimentary and weird, but do you have any advice to aspiring authors having written best-selling books? I do. Number ones and all the rest. First of all, my first piece of advice is to keep your computer plugged in because I forgot to lose it. Okay. Yeah. I feel like the first thing I would say is that if I could tell you the amount of people that write to me every single weekend, are like, I think I might be a writer, but I don't know. Like, how do you know? I think I might be a writer. And I think that this question reminds me of when I first started going to AA meetings. I, I know that this is, it sounds weird, but it's going to come back together. <laughs> And I used to sit in these circles, like in the basements of these churches. And we always had these brochures that like, you might be an alcoholic if, right? And people would like sit down and take the, take the quiz, like, am I or am I not? And I used to always look at us and think, why do we have to take a quiz to find out? Like, we're here. We're like in a circle, having come to an AA meeting. <laughs> like people who do not have drinking problems don't end up in these basements, right? Like the jig is up, okay? People who are not alcoholics don't constantly wonder if they're alcoholics, right? And people who are not writers don't constantly wonder if they're writers. This I know. So if you are a human who wonders often if you're a writer, then to me, that means you are for sure a writer, okay? That's your clue. Wondering if you are. Having a hunch that you are. And then the other thing that I would say is that I guess it depends on a person's desire, because if the desire is to be an author, which to me means like a person who has published books that other people have read in some capacity, to me, that's different than being a writer. Okay. So being a writer is what I hold the most dear. I have friends who are writers who happen to become authors. I have friends who are writers who have never become authors and are the best writers I've ever known. I have writer friends who are writers who became authors who are not that good of writers. <laughs> so for real. So if what you want to be is a writer, and by that I mean you just want to experience the world deeply and then experience it twice by going to your computer and like trying to make sense of it through words and communicate it to other people and like you feel like anxious until you can do that. Like until you, like you have this, okay, so this is so random, but I feel like for me, it's like having to pee. Okay. It's like you get an idea and you're like, that's in the beginning when you kind of have to pee a little bit. And then, and then you keep thinking of it. And then it's like, now I have to pee or I'm going to die. It's like, this this is just so, I can't believe I just described it that way. (laughs) But I feel like that, if that, if that's the kind of feeling you have about writing, then you have to write. And it almost doesn't matter what comes next? I mean, I had to write to nobody for 10 years before anybody was like, do you want to write a book? It's just, you have to be willing to do a hell of a lot of time that nobody might ever see, which means that if you really want to be a writer, you kind of have to not be able to live unless you write. (laughs) It has to be something that you can't not do. Right. And then I just think in order to be a writer, tragically, you just have to write. I haven't found another way around it. (laughs) I think what you have to do 
is sit down for an hour every single day and promise yourself that you're not going to move from the chair for an hour, whether you write one good word or 400, that you are not going to abandon what you know about yourself. You're going to honor that by giving yourself an hour a day. I love that. Glennon, thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for all of your amazing, authentic sharing in all of your channels. And thanks for being such an inspiration. Oh, thank you. This was so fun. I loved every minute of it. Oh, good. I'm so glad. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review this on iTunes. Tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much to Riley Versa for sponsoring today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.